0: It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 147. I'm Leo
1: Notenboom of AskLeo.com. I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMos.com. How's it going, Gary? Good. Well, what, what have you been up to? How, what's the latest with your uh, laptop? So, um, the, the story,
0: I think it's come to a conclusion. Oh, okay. Um, so, I mentioned last week that, or no, two weeks ago, since we skipped last week, that... Um, I was cutting my losses, that I had decided that um, I could not basically get around the fact that this laptop of mine, uh, which I've had for now a couple of years, Uh, is essentially no longer portable. It must be plugged in if I want to be able to use it with any uh, assurance that it won't suddenly shut off on me. So it now has a role. Um, It's actually in my radio room, of all things, where (laughs) it's connected up to one of my ham radios for a future project. But I did mention that I was ordering a new laptop from frame.work. That's literally the URL, frame.work. It's a modular laptop. I ordered it as a kit. It took me about 20 minutes to assemble, maybe 30 at most. Um, and that includes about five or 10 minutes of soldering a connection that I broke. <laughs> but uh, the fact that it was easy to assemble, uh, that I could, in fact, fix something that had broken, that there are replacement parts should I need them, was actually kind of um, enticing and uh yeah i'm not we're not using it now i'm using my desktop for this podcast but i've been using it now for about three days see today's tuesday so yeah i've been using it since saturday afternoon and it's actually quite a nice little machine um i'm very happy with it it is not as powerful as the old laptop but i did that on purpose um it's it's powerful it's the more powerful version of the machines offered by frame.work, but it is still not quite up to the same level as the uh, the two-year-old Dell. But like I said, when I got that original two-year-old Dell, I had originally intended for it to be my replacement desktop. And that's a whole nother story that I walked away from. I decided that that just wasn't going to happen, but that means that it was a pretty darn powerful laptop with the exception of its ability to stay running without uh, being plugged in so this little laptop is actually doing really, really well. I'm very pleased with it. Uh, the, uh, I, the, the concept where you have these modular external plugs has turned out to be quite fascinating, I'll just call it. I originally had, I, I ordered six. I ordered two USB-C connectors, a USB-A connector an HDMI connector, and a uh, a, what turned out to be a micro SD card reader. Had I realized it was micro and not regular SD card, I may not have ordered it. But um, the fact is, it's a micro SD card reader. I had that in the machine for a little bit, but I decided, you know what, it's more useful to have two USB-C connectors on the machine. So I just unplugged it and plugged it you know, replace the, the little module that these things come with, come with. So it's been cool. I've I've been pleased. And yes, indeed, I did make sure that it would run for a few hours on battery. The other night I took it into the family room, <laughs> left the power supply where it was. So uh, it certainly passed that test as well. Uh, but like I said, so far, I'm pretty pleased. I did order it with 64 gigabytes of RAM, which is overkill, but you know how these things go over time. There's always growth in the software that we run and our our uh, expectations tend to increase over time as well. And that was probably the, uh, I don't wanna say the most difficult, but the, uh, the, it's most likely to be the most difficult to upgrade further, um, to upgrade in the future. Whereas I put in a single one terabyte SSD and that's something that's quite easy to replace in the future should I ever need to. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, pretty happy with it. So, like I said, that's probably the conclusion to the story. I now have a different laptop and uh, it works. Great. Um, In other news, I also wanted to give a quick update on uh, Windows 11, which I am using on the machine that we are uh, talking on right now. Mm -hmm. I uh, have been actually fairly pleased with it. I will say that on the framework laptop, I installed Windows 10 Pro. And I installed Windows 10 Pro because of a few annoyances I'm having with Windows 11. Like I said, by and large, it's working really good. And what's frustrating about it is that the annoyances are clearly bugs. So the annoyance that I'm having is that, or that I was having until I solved it a different way, is that the start menu, which of course, you know, is part of the the biggest change, I guess, the biggest visible change you'd see in Windows 11, the start menu wouldn't paint itself properly on one of my machines, which meant that I couldn't see what to click on. Uh, If I, you know, hovered the mouse over the start menu, then, you know, and moved it around, wiggled it around, various pieces of the start menu would be drawn, would paint, but, not all of the controls and not necessarily the controls that I wanted to see or that I needed to click on. So I had to kind of sort of guess where they were based on my memory of what the start menu looked like. Hmm. Uh, And that's one of those things, that's just clearly that's a bug. There's no other explanation for it, which is unfortunate and kind of disappointing that they would ship something that has the bug. Now I will say my knowledge of how Windows works does mean that, uh, you know, does lead me to understand that. This could be a Windows bug, but it also could be a driver bug uh, with my specific video display card. Uh, It's unclear where to point the finger, but the finger definitely needs to be pointed and the issue (sighs) needs to get resolved. So rather than revert to Windows 10 on this machine, what I've done instead is I went out and got uh, one of the popular start menu replacement programs. This one is called Start 11. It's by Stardock.com. Uh, it's not free, but it does. It basically just replaces the Start menu in Windows. The intent is that you can then replace it with the Start menu you want, be it the Windows 11 look and feel, the Windows 10 look and feel, or the Windows 8 look and feel, or even the Windows 7 look and feel. Uh, which is its that's its biggest selling point is that it's it's a way to get you back the old start menu that you want rather than the start menu that's been forced on you when you upgrade Windows. In my case, I just chose the Windows 11 look and feel. I'm happy with that. All I really wanted was to make sure that it would paint properly, (laughs) and it does. Um, So I'm happy with that. I needed to mention in this discussion, though, that uh, while Stardock's uh, product is not... Uh, free. It's not expensive. I think it was like 25 bucks for like five machines. Uh, so it's you know definitely affordable. Uh, the other one that came to notoriety early on, uh, either I think it came to notoriety actually might have been with Windows 7, but certainly with Windows 8 was something called originally called Classic Start. It's now uh, been revived as an open source project called Open Shell. Uh, we'll have a link to both of these actually in the show notes by the way but the issue I only I, I did not try open shell I didn't actually even take a quick look at it. Uh, the problem I have with it, having looked at it earlier today, is that I don't think it's been updated in like about six months. And that has me a little concerned. Whereas uh, Start 11 is an ongoing and commercial product that uh, you know people are uh, continually updating and fixing and so forth. So OpenShell, uh, it's open source, it's free. Uh, it probably works given that most things that work on Windows 10 are working just fine in Windows 11. So it is an alternative for folks that are Uh, you know, frustrated by the Windows 11 or even the Windows 10 start menu. Open shell, if I recall correctly, will retrieve menu styles that go back even further than start 11. Uh, You can go all the way back to uh, not only Windows XP, but I think Windows 2000 or even Windows 3.1 style start menus if that's the kind of thing you're most comfortable using. But I did at least wanted to pass that along that I was having this one specific problem with Windows 11 that while on the surface, it seems like a very benign problem, it actually turned out to be quite impactful. And I was able to find a workaround for it without having to dump Windows 11. Other than that, Windows 11 has been working just fine for me. I've been happy with it. Great. Sounds good. What's been going on with you?
1: Well, I went to an interesting little conference. And I mean, really, it was a very small conference at uh, CU Boulder this weekend. uh, It was a one-day thing, and it was called the What Conference. (laughs) Uh, What? what spelled with three A's (laughs) and an exclamation point and a question mark. Um, And it was just about weird things on the internet, weird games. Uh, There are a lot of people showing off uh, student games and things like that there. And there were a few talks, and this You know, I just happened to see a mention of this conference and thought, oh, Sunday afternoon, I'll drive up and see it. And I remember back in the 90s how we would just create weird stuff online, right? You know, you didn't have, people didn't go to like an app and go into Facebook or create a Twitter account. You created like weird websites or even like a GeoCity site or something like that. You stuck all bunch of strange graphics and you played around with it. Why does a little scripting
0: hamster dance come to mind for this? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just weird things. And, and I kind of assumed that that was over, right. That was fun, but it's over and it is mostly over, but I was, uh, it was great to see people there talking about it. Um, Not as like this used to happen in the past, but like, it's still going on today. And some of the people talking about it clearly weren't old enough to have been there when right. we were doing it. Right. So that was nice. Uh, saw a, uh, a talk of, of this one woman, um, let's see, uh, N- Natalie Lawhead, who mm-hmm. does a lot of this cool stuff. Uh, things where you can install stuff on Windows. And, you know, she talked about that, you know, I'm sure security people hate her things, but, you know, where the cursor becomes like a weird object, like a potato or something. And then there's like things living on your desktop that interact with other things Uh, or folders you go into that aren't really folders. They're actually these programs. And then the files and the folders are like alive and will ask you questions and fall in love with each other and (laughs) just do all this bizarre uh-huh. stuff to, you know and this stuff used to be a kind of like a cultural thing in the 90s right uh, and you know it's just i think a lot of people you know she said and and there was also somebody else mentioned this that you know this is something today where you're brought into these environments that are super controlled like creating a facebook page and there's not really much you could do with it you know getting creative is like maybe the words in your bio or the picture you're using or something. It's not, you really don't have much control over this environment here. Um, Whereas we used to have lots of control. And when somebody sent you a link to something, like even the the early precursor to, uh, you know, Facebook, you know, MySpace, you could do a lot of weird stuff on your MySpace page and you just don't have that freedom today. But people are definitely still doing it. Definitely still creating things. It takes different forms. Now you have to build these kind of apps, right? Apps that probably would not get accepted into the app store. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, because I was thinking like some of these things, like I like the idea of having, Oh, you open a folder up and it feels like it's a folder, but the files aren't really files and they, they do different things and that violates app store guidelines right there. Right. You know, um, but you know it's some interesting stuff, uh, and he, you know there's some stuff that's done on web pages where you do kind of have that freedom. You can go into a web page and you can have, you know, JavaScript and graphics and you know use the canvas and CSS to do all sorts of weird stuff if you want. Um, so some of it's done there. Some of it is done through uh, various different like I kind know of scripting languages, and you can actually download something not from an app store, and it would do odd things. I, I don't know, it was a, it was a fun uh, look at that. I'm glad to see there's at least some audience out there that's still interested in this.
0: I love uh-huh. the uh, the tagline for the event. Uh, I went to the watt.io and it says, a carnival of game-related weirdness. Yeah. Which is and
1: cool description. It was. There was even like, you know, they tried to make the conference weird too. So the, instead of having swag where it was just given away, you had to actually trade in. First, it was little tickets. So when you got in, uh, they give you like 50 little tickets. And then you can go up and say, oh, I like that little sticker or whatever. So you trade five tickets for the sticker. But as the day went on, they introduced more types of currency. So you would play games. And I guess the people that were running the games could like award you. There were, Suddenly, there were these wooden coins that were introduced into the economy. And by the end, there were, there were these bear bonds. And and, I mean, it was just odd things, but no matter what you had, that was kind of like this conference currency. You would just go up to the table and one of the people running the show was there at the table and you would just have to bargain with them and say, oh, I really want that deck of playing cards. And he goes, well, what would you give me for it? And he'd be like, oh, I've got uh, two coins and 10 tickets. (laughs) And he'd be like, oh, throw in one more coin and tours or whatever. But I'll also (laughs) give you this sticker, you know, and it was just uh, a, a lot of weird stuff. Um the speakers were, you know, I, I went mostly to hear the speakers, um, and just, uh, most were virtual though one, one wasn't. Um, and, uh, I've linked a, a couple of those there. And then I found out, you know, there's a site I've kind of been aware of it called itch.io that is, that houses a lot of these things. Now there's a lot of, um, there were a lot of sites like, it. I think it kind of got lost in all the old flash game sites and stuff before. And now that flash is gone, a lot of the sites have completely disappeared, but it appears this site lives on very well as, you know, downloadable apps, weird websites, strange graphics, um, things like that. So um, I don't know. It's a place to find definitely weird stuff. And there's some of the games. There are just bizarre little HTML games. you could play in any web browser and, definitely have that feel like they might have been made, you know, they were maybe made this year, but they could have been made in like 1998.
0: Right, right. It's and, funny, I was yeah. looking at um, the free games on that site, and there's a uh, uh, a, a bunch of really dark horror type games yeah. that are there, which I find fascinating. Uh, definitely a few spooky doll type things looking at me. <laughs> Maybe um, it's just
1: because Halloween just went by. Possibly, possibly, could be that's why they're the featured stuff up there.
0: But yeah, oh yeah, and they've got different platforms. You know, all sorts of different stuff going on here.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to see that fascinating that that I don't know. All that stuff gets overshadowed now by the huge, you know, billions of people on the internet doing mm. like you know normal you know stuff. You know, being on Snapchat or. Using WhatsApp or, you know, Facebook or whatever. And, and, uh, and this part isn't completely dead. <laughs> Matter of fact, who, who knows, it may be even more alive than ever before. It's just that it shows. So, you know, back then, you know, you would count the number of people online in the low millions, you know, right. say so here a report that 5 million people are now online, which is kind of ridiculous to think of today. Um, so like this kind of culture was a big part of it, and it could be that there's just as many, if not more, people into it now. It's just that we count the number of people online in billions, right? And uh, so the number
0: is the same, the absolute number may be the same, it's just as a percentage be. of the total population, they've gotten very small,
1: could be. And it, it, this really encouraged me. I've got a bunch of pro, I never really got out of it, but I stopped really. Finishing projects, I would play around with something and be like, that would be a, boy, if this was the 90s, I would make a website that was just a stupid little game or something like that. And I kind of stopped completing these projects. And I'm hoping, you know, I made a note and going to try to make it like a resolution for next year to maybe bring some of these weird projects to fruition or find the time to build them. And um, without any goal in mind, that's one of the things. It's hard when you make your living doing internet stuff to go and say i have an idea and i could build a website and it does this and then what <laughs> you know it just okay it's just going to be there i don't know there might be like 10 people that might get a laugh out of it in the next 10 years and that's it but you know maybe maybe i should so i i put it on my to do list a couple of projects that i've had
0: like i've said it it reminds me of sites like um hamsterdams yes. or or um, zombo.com yeah. You remember zombo.com? Um yeah. there's a couple of them like that or or uh badger 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 is the other one which I think was originally a flash thing that um, has uh, seen a few iterations.
1: Hopefully. I think a lot of this stuff lived on as like flash things that were just still around until last year when flash was killed. Right. right. And it's you know it's one of those things I wish there would've been some better way to preserve them. Right. Um but uh, it's not like you can't do them now. Matter of fact, in some ways, you can do them better than ever now. It's just—is right. like, anybody going to take the time to convert? Exactly. You know, some old Flash project to, you know, the person that did it was a college student when they did it. Now they're, you know, a grown up with, you know, three kids and a mortgage and a job, and they're probably so not going to.
0: do it. I just had a frightening thought that will serve as our segue here. Okay. Um, what if? Something like Hamster Dance or, or uh, Badger, Badger, Badger was implemented in the metaverse. Mm. So this has been, of course, the, a topic of a lot of discussion lately, mostly because of Facebook's name change. But a lot of people, such as myself, when we hear talk about the metaverse as if it's something new, Know that it's not. Uh, the, the description that I used the other day was that it's essentially like playing a massively multiplayer game like Fortnite or World of Warcraft, except you're doing it um, in person-ish using re- live audio and virtual reality goggles. So that instead of, you know, using your mouse to drive something on a screen, you're using your arms, waving your arms about or whatever to move something in this virtual world that you're seeing through your VR goggles. That's all the metaverse is. And I just, as we're talking about these, uh, these nineties sites, I just have this vision of, you know, being in this virtual 3D world and having hamsters pop up everywhere uh, or or badgers and snakes and whatever else, you know, shows up. There's some really, really interesting things that could happen that way. But I was curious. So this, this that's the way I've been thinking about the metaverse. Is mm-hmm. that it really is just um, uh, massively multiplayer games with VR goggles taken yeah. to you know, whatever the next level is am i I'm, am i off base do you is is that does that make sense to you i think
1: that's the start of it um if if we're going to see the metaverse actually happen you know and it, it, people have been talking since the 80s about the metaverse right. the idea that we a virtual world that everybody can share you know these games like world of warcraft probably more so than fortnite you know the difference being world of warcraft is persistent um Whereas Fortnite is, you know, there's one game and then that little world goes away and then there's a new one. Minecraft uh, might actually be a better. Minecraft thing. is, yeah. So these are these are worlds that, you know, they're definitely the beginning. Remind you of the, at, you know, before the internet, you know, there was CompuServe and Prodigy and AOL and all these uh, little tiny universes that eventually all merged together or, you know, got taken up by the internet or went away in favor of the internet and now we do have this one worldwide web part of the internet that is like you know it's kind in some ways every website's its own thing but in other ways they're all kind of feel like they're in the same space um we need to see that happen you know how does mine how do minecraft and world of warcraft merge how do you go from that How, how could you be in world of warcraft and also cross over like go through a door and then you're in Minecraft or vice versa. Uh, or is that not, it's not going to happen that way. But the idea being that, you know, the Metaverse starts off that way where it's this virtual reality world. Mm-hmm. And then it allows you to do more than anything did before. Cause all you can do in world of Warcraft is play world of Warcraft. Right. All you could do in Minecraft, you can do a lot more in Minecraft. You can build things. So you can create these little pockets of Minecraft that are, you know, your own castle thing that you built a world right. or engine of, you know, things that people do, getting really creative. Um, but it's still basically, you know, here's like a subset The the idea would be a place like world of Warcraft, where you could actually, you know, there'll be, you know, one building, you know, is like, modern times and you can do certain things in other buildings like medieval another building like in a sci-fi thing another building you can actually go in and work i mean that was always part of in sci-fi of like the metaverses. right it was always like a place you could work so you would log in and then you could go to work and it, it, it may not be like you're walking into an office building and sitting down at the desk or it may be exactly that. It may be a simulation know. of sitting There's down. in a simulation it. Yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. But you could certainly, you know, do some of that. The the one metaverse that has been around for a long time now, it's Second Life, right? Um, which, you know, had kind of a heyday when it would be mentioned and Wired and all sorts of things, and mm-hmm. it's still around. Mm-hmm. Um, but it had that goal of of becoming the metaverse, never you know, didn't gain enough steam and kind of lost its launch velocity probably and will never become the metaverse.
0: What was interesting about Second Life uh, compared to where we, I think we want, where, where people want us to be heading with respect to the metaverse is mm-hmm. that there were uh, things you could do in Second Life that had, had impact on the real world. There were companies there selling you things. You yeah. could, you know, the moral equivalent of, uh, buying a book, you could go to a virtual bookstore in uh, Second Life and buy a book and have it shipped to your physical world home. Or you could buy a digital copy and read it in Second Life, those kinds of things. Um, I think that that's one of the one of the ways that uh, a lot of the folks who are hot on the metaverse are looking or thinking of oh, yeah. how it will interact with uh, commerce, essentially, is the way to but
1: Second life has its own currency. And so there were people that could actually make a living in second life, but it involved second life. Like you, you go in and you could build buildings, you could build objects, you could build clothing, and then you could sell them to people using the games in game currency, but then you could cash out that in game currency. Right. So you could actually go in and, you know, there's probably only a handful of people that were able to do this, but, you know, work basically all day in second life, make, money and actually convert that to cash that was in your bank account that you could use to buy food and pay rent um the metaverse definitely needs to have that and you know there are a lot more pieces in place you know we have cryptocurrencies and things now that could definitely tie into that really nicely right. you know the main thing about them being that they're i think that they're international currency right and the um i, I don't know there's a lot there's a lot of people want out of the metaverse and if it happens um, then I think some of it will come true, and some of it won't, and then some things that we never thought of will actually happen. Uh, but yeah, it's
0: true for technology in general, prognostications yeah, in general. And technology, in, um, in general, you know. Right now, I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks for the metaverse, and maybe this is just my own personal peccadillo, but yeah. a VR headset is required, right? You have to yeah. be wearing right. this silly thing on your head, yep. um, and. While that's fine, you know, some people are fine with that. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, and my understanding is the experience within the headset is actually pretty darned cool. But uh, for a lot of people, that's a non-starter. There's just no interest in, in having to go that far. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things that will have to be, I don't want to say solved, but at least I'll say Grown uh developed beyond what we currently think of as this bulky vr headset
1: right Um, i don't know if it's necessary like i i would love to i if i had to predict i would say that you could go into whatever the future metaverse will be right either with a vr headset Mm -hmm. or just with your computer screen um because there's really no reason why it couldn't just be on your computer screen you know, you still, it's like a first person shooter, right. You could still see everything. You could still do everything. It's not going to be as immersive, but not everybody wants it to be. Well, not everybody wants it to be completely immersive. And at the same time, many people for them, it's just as immersive on a computer screen as it is uh, in, you know, in VR goggles, like once you're in it, you know once you've got that going you're in the flow of the of the game or metaverse mm-hmm. then it doesn't really matter to you you know you and i think it, you know you could go, extend that all the way to reading right i mean really good books they're just words on a piece of paper but for no you know, no, no no they're better in a memory now, card come on <laughs> yeah but just you know for generations now people get really immersed in reading right right and and then there's movies which you know of course you think would do better but you know and they probably do but I don't think that means that you can't read now and get really immersed into a whole world and so it's the same thing here I I don't see any reason why you would need to have VR goggles to go into the metaverse.
0: Well, I can I think, think you would, I can think of them. one. I can think yeah. of one. And that's the decision by the people implementing all this that this is the this is how you get in, right? If I think that if, would, if Facebook yeah. if Facebook goes down this this path, yeah. uh for example, they're probably going to tailor it for the uh, which one is it they own Oculus?
1: Oculus, yeah.
0: Yeah. So they're going to tailor it for those for those uh VR goggles. And as you can imagine, having an alternate way to display the same information is more code, it's more work, it's more bugs, it's more everything. Um, and it's probably not what their vision is. Maybe it is. I could be wrong. But my sense is, from what I've heard so far, what I've seen so far, is that they're really, really targeting the 3D virtual reality scenario.
1: Yeah. I, I think, I don't think it's that hard to. If you're if you're going to gear everything towards VR goggles to actually then have a you know 2D version that's on a, a nice screen in front of you. Like mm-hmm. I think going in that direction mm-hmm. is easy. It's like just display what's on there. I, I would even go to the point of say the developers, they're not sitting in VR goggles all day. They're looking at screens. Right. And, you know, they probably test a lot of VR goggles, but I don't think you ever have something that Only exist in VR goggles, at least not in the near future. So having it available to say, hey, if you just want to look at it on your computer screen and go and do it that way, sure, it works. Maybe they don't launch it that way. Maybe they really try to encourage the first generation of people to do it through the goggles. But I think when they want it to expand, um, I think it's a no-brainer to have it on screens but uh, but then we're assuming here this is going to be brought to us by Facebook, also known as Meta, which is a whole other thing. Right, <laughs> which is why we're talking about this now um, because up until a few weeks ago, uh, if you would ask me, okay, the metaverse is coming. Who's bringing it to us? Facebook would have been in the conversation. They, like you said, they they own the, those VR goggles. Um, but I would not have put them as the front runner. Uh, Who would you and, have chosen? Hmm, I would have probably. I thought about Google uh, a little bit because they started with uh, you know their own kind of uh, AR stuff with Google Glass and all that, and they seem to work on projects like this all the time. I wouldn't have ruled out Microsoft with Xbox, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have thought about some of these game companies like Epic. Um, Apple is a name that's always on the list, but you never expect them to actually be like the ones to jump out with it. But sometimes they are like with the iPhone. Um, but Facebook, I would have been like, yeah, they're up there. They they could definitely be one. But now with simply, simply changing the name and announcing that at the same time, I think it was a week before is when they announced that they're going to hire 10,000 people in Europe and put together this metaverse project. And then they changed their name to meta. And now all of a sudden Everybody assumes it's going to be, oh, the metaverse is coming and it's going to be brought to us by Facebook. And that's a little cringe to me. Right, right. (laughs) Because it's like, I want the metaverse. I've read everything you could possibly, I've read, you know, uh, Neuromancer, Snow Crash, Ready Player One, you know, every book that's got, you know, the metaverse in it. And that we just don't like. We just don't want want it from Facebook. I don't (laughs) want it from Facebook. I want it from somebody else, you know. Uh, So, yeah that's kind of like, it scares me in ready player one. I mean, there's a whole company that is basically the Facebook company. That's the evil company that wants to take over the metaverse and turn it into an ad based system, right. Where it tracks everybody does exactly what Facebook does. Right. So it's like, ah, we're going to start there. You know, um, I just, it really bugs me. Do you recall
0: what the, what year ready player one was written?
1: What that, oh, I'm thinking like 10 years ago or
0: something? Okay, because I would looked up Snow Crash since you included that in our notes before the show. Yeah. Um, it goes back to 1992. And that gives an example of, um, a, a very well thought out example of just how old this concept really is. Oh yeah, this Neuromancer
1: concept, was earlier.
0: Yeah, and it's, and it was... These are the same concepts we're talking about today mm. oh, um, yeah, as finally getting around to implement, but it's nothing, like I said, it's absolutely nothing uh, new. I want to go back to the VR goggles for a minute because I do, like I said, I do believe that uh, the initial focus certainly will be on VR goggles, but I honestly believe that rather than I love the idea of having it be on a screen. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, Microsoft Flight Simulator is a great example of a virtual reality that if you've got a huge screen or if you've got multiple screens or whatever, you can have your immersed uh, activity. You can you can have that immersed experience uh, at some incredibly high resolution and incredibly high believability um, that that you're just not used to seeing elsewhere. So it's possible, but I just don't think that that's what they're going to prioritize. What I do think they might prioritize, and I think will probably lead to greater success anyway, is not necessarily needing goggles. In other words, uh, you mentioned Google Glass earlier. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there were something simpler that uh, would attach to or simply be literally glasses and that would allow for a couple of different things. One is it would allow for uh, going into quote unquote the metaverse entirely, but it would also allow for something else we've been playing around with these past couple of years, and that's augmented reality, mm. where you bring aspects of virtual worlds uh, into the real world. So, you know, this, I think Pokemon Go is one of the ones that had initial um, success because you would be playing and you would be looking around in the real world for these virtual things that would appear only if you looked in the right place using your, your mobile device or whatever. Um, But I really do think that it has to be something physically less cumbersome than the, than the uh, headset than the VR headset before this really takes off. I could be wrong. I mean, early adopters are going to adopt, right? That part's easy. Um, It's, it's the rest of the world. It's the mainstream that I think people like Facebook are really counting on. And I think that that's a huge barrier to entry.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I uh, yeah. In a way, it's like this is this is becoming kind of like space stuff where we're getting to the point where I think the technology is there, um, and it just has to be somebody has to build something that is socially kind of acceptable that, you know, people want to play yes. or be yes. part of, you know, whereas like the, I'm comparing it to space in that, like, you know, when, when we went to the moon, we went to the moon before we really knew how to go to the moon. Right? right? Just like the, the greatest minds of the world kind of figured it out. And just as they figured it out, they, they kind of got it working and got we got there. Um, whereas like today, if we want to go to the moon, uh, I mean, we, you know, we have way more than the technology needed to go to the moon. Um, but, you know, there are other things that are keeping us from it, you know, and it's the same thing here. It's like when these sci-fi books were written, like Snow Crash 92, uh, Ready Player One was uh, 2011. Okay. Um, the Matrix was what, the 90s?
0: Yeah, the Matrix yeah that's not a good being example very- too.
1: You know, not being a human built version of. uh, But still, it's it's a virtual reality. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and, you know, when these things were put together, it's like, well, well, boy, in the future, maybe we'll have enough technology to actually go there. Whereas, you know, how long is World of Warcraft or even before that something like, you know, Ultima Online. Right. You know, how long has that stuff been around at this point? Um, And it gets better and better. but. Uh, it's just, uh, it's like, all right, already we're, we're ready for this metaverse thing. If it's going to happen. Um, and and the only really two outcomes I see of a metaverse, one is that it's only for the geeks and another is that it's main becomes mainstream. Um, I'm okay with either one (laughs) because (laughs) like the failure thing is it's only for the geeks, but you know, finally is something that we could keep, because it seems like everything we have, oh, we got little personal computers, right? And then, oh, now everybody's got them. Okay, great. You know, oh, we got like the internet. Oh, now everybody's on the internet. You know, it's like, oh, everybody keeps taking our stuff.
0: but uh, uh, I don't, I don't know that it would go quite that far, but yes, I, I see what you're
1: saying. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? So if like the metaverse came around and only like the geeky people were into it and, and like the general population was like, I don't want to put on a VR headset and get into it like a, virtual reality world. I'd be like, okay, that's good. Leave this to us. We'll create the hamster dance, uh, <laughs> you know, stuff and have lots of fun and it'll be weird and wonderful. And then all of the normal people can go about their normal lives and, and ignore the weird stuff that we're making and enjoy. Alrighty
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll see you there. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Definitely in that crowd. Um, so, yeah, we talked about that. Um, it'll be interesting to see where that, where that goes. It, it will. It'll, it's one of those things that's going to play out over multiple, multiple months. It'll be really interesting to see. Facebook clearly is in the lead. It'll be interesting to see what they end up actually producing, if anything. But it's going to be some time.
1: So what struck you as cool this week, Gary? Well, I read a uh, book. This is Boyd. So non-tech but it's what I read this week, um, called "The Warmth of Other Suns," uh, the epic story of America's greatest migration, and um, it's a great book that uh, basically talks about uh, you know one of history's biggest untold stories, which was the great migration of people from the South to the North through most of the 20th century, uh, escaping Jim Crow laws and and horrible things going on in the South. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a real eye opener for me because even growing up, um, growing up in uh, one of the cities that was kind of the other end of that great migration, Philadelphia, and having stories from my parents when my dad was stationed down in the South uh, in the '60s in the Army, um, I knew about Jim Crow and I knew about you know how bad things were in the South. I did not know like e- even one percent of how bad things were. And then this whole idea of this migration of 10 million, I think it was 10 million people moving from the south of the United States to the north and to California Mm -hmm. um, is basically, except for the fact it took place within a country, is one of the greatest migrations in history. You know, Hmm. when it happened from one country to another, it's something everybody would have been talking about because it happened inside of a country. Nobody talks about it. So fascinating. It follows the lives of three people. And uh, through uh, one that started in the '30s, '40s, '50s, and was just a fantastic, fantastically done history book with lots of good factual information as well as telling the stories of these people's lives and and uh, and all that. So I, I, I definitely, it's one of those things that you know, it's like, why isn't this required reading in schools? Um, yeah, that's a question you can ask about a lot of different things. A lot yeah, of stuff. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. That's so yeah, very cool. Uh, I'll got a link going here. Sure. Um, mine is decidedly techie, uh, for a change. Uh, I've, For the record, I'm in the third book of the Foundation trilogy. And yes, I realized just how far the, the TV show has um, veered from the original story, but it's still an interesting story. Um, so I stumbled into something called Obsidian. It's obsidian.md, and it's a note-taking app. I have been over the last, oh, I don't know. Let's just call it a year. Frustrated with Evernote. Evernote is the tool that I've used for years. Um, I'll, I'll continue to use it for other for a few things, and as I'll describe here in a minute. But um, it's just they did a recent architecture change. They haven't really come up to feature parity with what they used to have. Um, there are some things that I keep wanting to do that I can't. Uh, it's just it's. Just kind of frustrating, and the progress that I keep hoping for hasn't been there. So, basically, I've been casting about for other note-taking, other possible note-taking apps, and there's a bunch out there. There are so many different note-taking apps out there. Um, One of the other groups that I'm a, a member of, their big thing is Notion which is a fine, fine note-taking app. It has its pros and its cons. I stumbled into Obsidian. And Obsidian speaks to me because it works on plain text files. Hmm. Um, It's it's, your Obsidian, quote-unquote, database is a directory structure of your own choosing with plain text files in them. The text files are in what's called Markdown format. Uh-huh. In other words, um, for those not familiar with it, Markdown is a very simple text based markup format that allows you to say, you know, star, star, word, star, star puts that word in bold. Uh, an asterisk being a star, um, star, word, star puts it in italics. Um, an asterisk at the beginning of a line followed by a space means you're starting a bulleted list. A number at the beginning of a, of a line means you're Starting a numbered list, there's tables, there's formatting, there's paragraphs, there's all that kind of stuff. But the, the goal of Markdown, what was originally designed a long time ago, is that it could be processed into a, um, a a graphical document so that bolded words are bold and italicized words are italicized and underlines are real. But the text source would still be readable by uh-huh. humans. Uh, which also implies then that it's very very easy to edit, make changes to, um, to play with. There's not a lot of obscure syntax you really need to learn. Uh, it's it's like I said, a very very simple uh, description language, and that's always appealed to me. Uh, and I just I've started to play with this. I've got it installed. I've got a couple of different things going on, and it's just really cool um i'm i'm very pleased with how it lets me structure things completely arbitrarily the way i want to linking between these files is one of the things that it does super well uh, and super easily which is one of the ways that you really add a lot of value to the information you collect in your uh, your obsidian notebook or database or whatever you'd like to call it. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. It's on all the platforms, as you might expect, including uh, my Android phone. The only thing that's really missing from it's free, uh, although I threw them some money to support them, but it's free there. Now there is a monthly service you can sign up for that is a synchronization service. So that when you have it installed on multiple places, as I do, uh, multiple PCs and my Android phone, and eventually one of my Macs or you know all that kind of stuff, uh, they have a synchronization service. However, uh, I've put together the same, uh, certainly a synchronization service that works for me, simply using Dropbox. In other words, I have I was my, ask, yeah, my, my folder, my folder of text files just lives in Dropbox. The biggest issue with uh, doing that is on an Android or mobile device where your Dropbox app doesn't, by its very nature, does not copy your files to the device. The Obsidian Mm -hmm. app on uh, Android, at least, and I'm sure it's true for, uh, uh, for Apple or for iPhones as well, expects the files to be on the device it's running on. Mm-hmm. So what I had to do, I've had this for a long time. There's another app that I've had for a long time called DropSync that uh, does exactly what it what you, what you might expect. It allows you to say, you know what? This folder in my Dropbox, so keep it synchronized with this folder on my device. And it just checks for updates every so often and it l- pulls the files literally from the cloud to the device and pushes the files from the device to the cloud when they change. So it basically allows me to replicate the same way, kind of, that Dropbox already does on all my other devices, but it allows me to replicate my Obsidian database to my mobile device, so I've always got it with me as well. Um, anyway, I, like I said, I just thought it was cool. I, I'm having fun with Markdown. I'm having fun with the app. It's fast. It's lightweight. It's it's very well done. And uh, that's what I thought was kind of cool this week.
1: Cool. That's uh, definitely something I want to look into. One of the things I love about Markdown is I don't, I'm not good at Markdown. You don't have to be. Right. Because <laughs> you could just not use the markdown. Like you don't have to use markdown. Like it's not like HTML where you can just write text and expect there to be like a result. Right. You can do that with markdown. You yes. could just write text and then say, ah, eventually I'll figure it out how to bold. Oh, eventually I'll figure it out how to underline. Oh, eventually oh. I'll figure it out how to link. And and just start with plain text. Um, and it's exciting because I've noticed that there are a few uh, hooks in the new shortcuts stuff that works on macOS and um iOS as well that handle Markdown.
0: Well, the other so, thing that I realized the other day is that the documentation standard for most open source projects out on like GitHub, uh-huh. Markdown. Oh yeah, it's Markdown. So, so uh, it's it's a good one to learn. What's kind of funny is, you know, like you said, you don't have to know Markdown. And a lot of the things that you're already doing to make your own bulleted lists in a text file or to include some emphasis to a word in a text file they're kind of sort of the same things you'd end up doing in Markdown to do exactly that. So it it feels very natural for most of the things that you're doing.
1: Definitely. Well, I, yeah, I'm going to go check that out. Sounds good. Um,
0: So the closest thing we have to an ad is, of course, our own self-promotion. The one I wanted to to talk about this week is how does Facebook track me even if I don't have an account? It's askleo.com slash 138408. And I think it actually dovetails very nicely with some of the things we were talking about earlier with Facebook's own um, intent to own the metaverse, uh, if you were to ask them what their their plan was, Uh, because... Even if you don't have a Facebook account, Facebook gets a ton of information about what it is you're doing as you navigate the World Wide Web. It just does. There's a variety of reasons for it. And as it turns out, the reasons are very similar to the same kinds of tools and techniques that the advertising networks have been using for a long time. But I think it's one of those things where a lot of people just don't realize how pervasive it is and how really, really easy it is for Facebook and companies like Facebook to do this using nothing special. It's all based on common web standards, uh, you know, HTML, et cetera. Uh, and the cooperation of a bunch of participating websites, of which, honestly, years ago, I used to be one. I'm not anymore, but I used to be. So I think that's an interesting one for people to uh, at least get a little bit more educated about exactly how pervasive Facebook's fingers really are in tracking what they do. It's askleo.com slash 138408.
1: Cool. I'll link to um, an unusual video I did. Uh, It's just 10 Mac tips, which isn't that unusual, except that I didn't write the tips. I asked my patrons cool. to suggest them. I had this idea for a while and I just basically asked, you know, people, um, what tip would you like me to include? And I got like, I don't know, 40 or so tips. Mm-hmm. And so I just picked 10 of them out that were easy to kind of to convey and put to a video and, um, just something a little, little different. So it's like a, you know, usually there's a theme to if I do a bunch of tips, there's no theme here. They're all over the place, so I'll link to that video. Your theme is randomness. Theme is, as is, is, <laughs> I guess, most useful. You know, the things that people most want to sure. guess. That's the. Sure. Anyway, awesome. There you
0: go. Cool. Well, I think that pretty much does us for this week. Mm-hmm. The show notes are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh147. If you've got a comment or a question, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. And of course, you're more than welcome to leave us a comment on the show notes page. As always, thanks for listening. I'm pretty sure we won't be recording next week since it's Thanksgiving week, but we will see you shortly after Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving holiday week if this is something you celebrate. And we will see you here again sometime soon.